Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Right. Super Bowl, the World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans, and the next, boom. Your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? Hello and welcome to Turner's Take Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Turner, author of Turner's Take Newsletter and broker here at StoneX. I specialize in grain and oil seeds, but me and my team also work on the energy markets. I got the commercial energy desk behind me. The dairy group is right in front of me. Um, we're not too far away from the OTC trade desk. Uh, and I can, you know, we also have access to our interest rates team. Uh, our fertilizer team, and anything that really has to do with futures, options, OTC, and structured products. So if you have any questions about those, either about what I do specifically or what we do here overall at StoneX, please give me a call or shoot an email. My number is 312-706-7610, or you can email me at craig.turner at stonex.com. If you're a client, you should also have my cell. You can always call my cell or shoot me a text. Um, If you like the podcast, please go to iTunes, give us a positive review. If you want to check out the newsletter, you can go to turnerstake.com. If you're interested in opening an account with us, I'll put a link to the account opening process in the show notes. All right, so I want to kind of get into a little bit more of an evergreen topic today. I want to talk about stock to usage, days of supply, um, the difference between you know the United States, how we look at it with export and with um stock usage and also major exporters um, and how things have changed over the year and how we should be evaluating the markets. So before we get to it, I just want to touch briefly on macroeconomics. I think uh, we had another economic report come out today, PPI. So producer price index, United States was up again on the inflation, um, about 0.3 higher than they were expecting. That's not great. Uh, and unemployment claims are lower than expected, which is good or bad depending how you look at it, but there's just uh, less people looking for work. You know, is the job market just very tight or are people dropping out of it and, uh, and not looking for work and taking themselves out of the game? Probably a little bit of both. But regardless, um, what it does do is it'll let, you know, the Fed has a dual mandate. Mandate number one for them is usually to make sure we are at or near or, you know, good on the employment side, which when you take a look at job claims and job growth and unemployment rate, um, you know, it's under 4%. The Fed's going to look at that and, you know, it's about as close to full employment as they're probably going to be able to get or can get realistically. And then they're going to take a look at the inflation numbers. That's their second uh, mandate. And the inflation numbers are, you know, are not good. You know, when I look back year over year here, I think the CPI for the United States was around six and change, 6.4% or something like that. And when you take a look at last January, the year over year inflation was around 7%. So seven and change, and this was six and change. So over the past two years, uh, you know, real inflation not just transitory inflation, but real inflation's probably up 
like 14, 15% across the board. Um, and that's, that's not really something that you can, you want know, the cat out of the bag, it's hard to get it back in on that one. So, uh, you know, that was just kind of a reminder there of, you know, we're going on two years here, you know, fighting inflation and, you know, the fed, they know that, um, and they're gonna, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the next fed meeting, they go ahead with a 50 basis point hike and, uh, we'll see how the, the market reacts to that. But yeah, 50 50 basis points, it's definitely in the cards now after the CPI and the PPI reading. Um, and what that means for the economy and demand, we don't know, but the Fed is going to want to see these inflation numbers uh, come down. So that's kind of where we are in the macro, the macro update. But what I really want to talk today is ending stocks versus stock to usage and days of supply and how things have changed. Um, let's say over the past 10 years, 10, 15 years, uh, you know, when we look at the United States and the major exporters um, and also minimum pipelines and just kind of touch on some things because I've been talking to some clients and I appreciate all the feedback I get from our clients and also some of the analysts I read and I listen to people and other shows and podcasts and newsletters and Twitter and just want to talk about some things that are, you know, gone on out there. So. Number one, when we talk about ending stock levels, whether it be for corn or soybeans or canola or wheat, um, you know, a lot of us, especially someone in my position, um, you know, maybe sometimes takes for granted that, you know, we're we're not just talking about ending stock levels. What we're really talking about or implying is what the eventual stock to usage will be and days of supply are. For A, whoever is the last resort um, for the product, so the world's uh, residual supplier, which a lot of times is the United States, and then also in relationship to the major exporters, because really prices get set in two markets. Uh, it's going to be the global export market, because that's where we find price discovery, and then there's also, you got to respect the uh, the place where, you know, the you know, basically the supplier of last resort, you know, the who ends up being the last game in town if we start getting tight on something, right? So that would be at the moment for corn and soybeans and wheat, the United States for spring wheat and certainly canola, that'd be Canada. Um, and that's just something, you know, something to keep in mind. So we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about how things have changed over the past 10 or 15 years and how we look at these things uh, and also minimum minimum pipelines, um, which have also kind of changed. And I think it's just uh, it's just important that we go through these things um, so we can set expectations properly where we think prices are going. So I'm going to start with corn because corn gets the most press. You see with the most examples of it, um, whether it be in the agricultural press, um, Twitter, podcasts, whatever it may be, um, you know, it gets a lot of play because it's a North American crop. It's a South American crop. It's also a Europe and Black Sea crop too. So it's a big one. It's part of feed and it's part of industrial use, ethanol, energy. So it's got a why it touches a lot of, uh, a lot of aspects of the grain markets. So when I talk about ending stocks, you know, 
let's say we go from a 1.2 billion in old crop this year to a 1.8 billion uh, in new crop next year. You know, what does that really mean? Well, what's it means we're we're expanding, right? Just the raw number of 600, and that's assuming you know 92 million acres in trendline yield. But when it comes to pricing where the market should go, which is what ultimately we're trying to figure out. The most important thing here is stock to usage domestically. Days of supply, which is just another way of showing stock to usage. Um, if you if you use the regression analysis of on prices, they would probably look they would probably look. I'm guessing they look exactly the same and show the same trends. Um, and then you know global exporters and what they what they have for stock to usage. So if we take a look, let's say at, go back to, I'm going to go all the way back to 2007. Um, give me a second here to scroll through my spreadsheet. You know, 2007, let's see, corn. It's when renewable fuel standard kicked in. We had stock to usage. Let's see. We went from like 2005, 2006, 2006, 2007. We went from a 2 billion stock to a 1.3 billion stock in that 2005, 6, 2006, 7. The reason why I bring this up is this is the start of the new era in corn where renewable fuels start to kick in. And we go to stock to usage of, you know, 2004, 5 of 20%, you know, to 17% the next year. And when renewable fuel standards really kick in, that 2006, 2007, and ethanol jumps from like 1.3 billion to 1.6 billion to 2 billion, and the market knows going forward from 2007, 2008, going forward, we'll go to 3 billion, 3.7 billion, 4.5 billion, eventually 5 billion in ethanol usage, which is what we eventually get to in around 2000, uh, 2011, 2012. Market knows this is coming. And we have to keep on adding on acres and the yields have to increase because we need to because we need the supply because of the the energy demand for corn that's gonna be coming. During this time, ending stocks were about 1.6, 1.7, 1.3, but you know, that's just a raw number. Like what does it really mean? Well, to know what it really means is we take a look at the stock to usage. Stock to usage means ending stocks divided over total usage. So if I know I'm going to finish the year with 2 billion ending stocks, all right, and the total usage was only 10 billion, then my stock to usage is 20%, which, by the way, is where we were in 2004, 2005. So a 2 billion carryout is a 20% stock to usage. Now, if we go further on down the line, you know, in 2016, um, 2017, a 2 billion carryout was only a 15% stocks usage because our use went from 10 billion to 14 billion with a lot of that being the build in ethanol, right? So, you know, and another key stat there is days of supply. So what days of supply means is when we calculate and see in any of the Turner's take balance sheets, you know, all we're doing is we're taking um, the ending, basically our ending stocks, well, the first thing we'll do is we'll take our use number, whether it be 11 billion from 15, 
17 years ago, where today's you know usage, which is closer to almost 15 billion, we divide that by 365 days, which gives us our daily use. And then what we'll do is we'll take our stocks and divide it by that. And then that's in theory, in theory how many days we have of supply left, meaning like once harvest ends, how many days of supply do we have, you know, past harvest, right? How much, how much cushion is there in case harvest is delayed? What if harvest gets delayed a month? Do we have a month of crop, you know, on hand, you know, and when we were sitting at a 20% stock to usage or, you know, close to it in 2004, 2005, you know, our, we had 72 days of supply on hand, right? When we were at uh, about a 20 percent stocks usage in 2021 we had about a 79 you know 79 uh days of supply on hand we were about 21 back then and that was a combination of uh a combination of a lot of things but that's when we thought we might be at uh you know whenever we thought we were going to be at three billion carry out so what's interesting is like a three billion carry out today is about a 20 percent stocks usage and days of supply in the 70s and 15 years ago, a 2 billion ending stock would have been about a 20% stock to usage and 70 day supply because the usage is much different than it was back then. Last, you know, 15 years ago, we only used 10 billion bushels of corn. Uh, and now we use closer to 15 bushels. A lot of that, a ton of it, a lot of it has to do with ethanol. Some of it has to do with feed. Some of it has to do with exports. Majority of it has to do with, with ethanol. So, when I talk now about, let's say, you know, and then and then it's kind of like, well, what, like what, what causes prices to go higher? When does the market really start caring about days of supply and stock to usage? So, my general rule has always been 10%. When we get to 10% stock to usage, um, that's when the market really starts to rallying outside of, let's say, just its natural. Uh, natural trading range. So for years, corn, let's say from 2007 up until let's say 2 years ago. Before COVID, the supply side change the supply side issues, supply chain issues and also uh all the inflation we've had, corn would trade, you know, when we had just a huge crop, just a massive crop, you know, corn, you know, if you can remember these days, could trade into the low 3s as a harvest slow, like it happens sometimes. Especially when we got to those carryouts, you know, back in 2017, we were at almost a 2.4 billion carryout, 17% stock to usage, you know, at 52 days of supply. The average farm price that year was 336, right? I mean, we've we all remember these these times, um, and you know, and when you get closer to and then, you know, at the high point, like when you're above 10% stock to usage and you've got at least, let's say, 35 days, more than a month of days of supply, the, mar the market's kind of comfortable with that. And maybe your, your, weather, your summer weather highs are like 425, 430, 450, right? And this will be 2019, 2020. Whenever the market was concerned about us getting underneath a, let's say, a month of which would be closer to 8% stock to usage. That's when the market needs to aggressively price ration, right? So if we use 15 billion bushels a year, 
that's going to be a 1.5 billion carryout. Is that kind of 10% line for us? Um, and then there's also what's known as the minimum pipeline. So, for example, back in the drought years of 2011, 2012, no matter how tight things got, we never got below basically a 900, 800 million, you know, ending stocks because there is a minimum pipeline um, that that exists in the United States. We'll never completely sell out completely, um, and uh, there will be some grain on farm and. There will be, you know, grain, you know, throughout the system, you know, even as as harvest comes online. And what the job of the market is, is to raise prices high enough to discourage demand. So in the drought years, you know, we ended up feed ended up going down by a billion bushels and we used more wheat uh, for feed. Exports, um, you know, went from basically two billion to seven hundred and thirty million like ex Basically, what happens is we saw this with canola two years ago and the marketing year for last year is that prices go so high that you completely price ration exports out of the market and use everything you can for domestic use. That's what happened with canola last year's marketing year. This is what happened with the corn market um, back in the 12, 13 marketing year. And that's how the market works. We kind of the ending stocks never go below a certain level. It's the minimum pipeline. I would say the minimum pipeline now for the United States probably isn't 800 million. It's probably more like a thousand for corn. So that goes into kind of figuring out like, you know, where we are. So, and then it's, and as far as corn goes, we start getting underneath like that month's supply, the market gets nervous and you have to raise prices to make sure that you shut down demand enough where you probably don't go below a billion carry out and you don't go much into you stay in the days of supply in the high 20s where the market's really making sure we always have a month of supply on hand at the end of at the end of the marketing year and whatever price is high enough we have to go to to make sure that any stocks exist that's where prices will go to and it's meant to overshoot it's meant to overshoot to just drive out demand in the market what's interesting about that is right now in old crop corn you know, it the corn market's job is to price old crop enough where you're not using it for feed and you're not doing any export, doing as little exports as possible. Because the market's job is to make sure we carry over this 1.2 or 1.3 billion into next year. And that's and that is what is going on. So when I've talked to farmers here and they're like, well, you know, the exports are down the dumps and South America looks like they have a big crop and we're going to have a lot of acres. Why isn't corn falling apart? Because if corn falls apart, then it's going to be competitive on the feed market and competitive in the export market, and you just cannot have that. Um, it needs to stay this high until a lot more grain can come in from South America and then new crop. Um, for new, and that's the that is the function of the market, um, and that's what we're seeing now. So, with that said, I'm going to take a look at what's going on right now. And if I say 92 million acres of new crop corn and a 181 yield, plus let's call it a 1.2 or 1.3 billion carry out, carry in from you know old crop this year into new crop next year, you get a total supply of about 16.5 billion. You know, we probably use about 14 and a half. And that means we could be close to 2 billion carry out at the end of the year. 
Now, if I'm talking to another broker like myself or a very experienced trader at the firm or something like that, like we know in our heads what that means. I'm already doing the math. I know that's like a 12 or 13% stock to usage. I know we're like 45 to 50 days of supply and there's no reason for corn to be this high if that's the case, right? At, for new crop at the end of the year, like it should be low fives or high fours at that point. And, you know, I don't think maybe sometimes I don't do as good as a job to kind of explain that. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to do that a little bit more with the newsletter and the podcast. But everyone should know if we have 92 million acres and a trend line yield and we're somewhere between a 1.8 and a 2 billion carryout, that's a 12 to 13% stock to usage. That's 45 to 50, day, 50 days of supplies on hand. Um, that implies new crop corn high fives, low fours. And just to give you a similar, you know, last time we heard about 50 days supply, you know, 2015, 2016, we had a 1.7 carryout. Average farm price was 360. So they say, hey, Craig, you're talking about High low fives, high fours. You know, the last time we had a situation just like this for new crop, we were sub four. Well, there's other things going on. You know, there are tight supplies in soybeans and there's tight supplies in wheat. Um, I heard some commentary, people saying that, you know, not only are stocks tight, but the basis is stronger this time of year as compared to other years when we've had high prices. And, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean that there's less corn out there than we think, or there's more corn demand out, out there than the market's given a credit to. Um, personally, what I think why it is, is because, you know, in years past, um, some kind of substitute product was available. Even when you go to the drought years that affected corn and soybeans in the United States, there was still wheat that was, you know, available um, for feed. That really is not the case anymore. Wheat's tight, soybeans tight, and corn is tight. So everything is tight here and there's no good substitute. So I'm not surprised the basis is pretty much strong across the board. And it may be, it, it could be even, you know, stronger than, you know, for this time of year than it was in, you know, 12 and 13, you know, after the big drought years, uh, just because we're, you know, we're tighter and we're tighter, not, Maybe not in the each individual product, but we're tighter in two things. One, the combination of, of grain and oil seeds, corn, wheat, soybeans, and canola, all right, than we, than, than we have been. And two, we're tight on the global export market, um, particularly the wheat market. Again, while back in 2012 and 13, we weren't, you know, we actually had some pretty decent uh, stock levels in the wheat market, which we just don't have right now. So there could have been a lot more feed wheat back then than there is and than there is now. So I'm going to talk about soybeans for a little. So long story short, old crop corn deserves to be this high until we start seeing more grain hit the export market. And also um, as we wait for new crop now. Something also has changed over the 10, past 10 or 15 years, and that is the percentage of what the United States um, sells on the export market compared to the other major exporters. I went back to past 10 years, and you know, over the past 10 years, 
let's take soybeans for example. You know, the major exporters is really United States and then South America as a whole, really led by Brazil. But you can add an Argentina and Paraguay there. You know, the United States used to be about 40% of all exports for soybeans. And then over the past 10 years, I mean, we're now in the low 30s. And I wouldn't be surprised for 2023 if we were in the high 20s. Meanwhile, the major exporters, which is really South America, used to be in like the low to mid 50s uh, percentage-wise, and they're going to be above 60. So we're going from like a 40, 52, 53 split between the United States and let's say South America, high 20s, low 60s split. And what does that mean? It also means that as, you know, back 10 years ago, a tighter stock to usage and a tighter day of supplies meant a lot more than it did because when prices get this high, it's not just about the domestic price; it's about the major global exporter price. Because there's two there's two ways where price discovery is found. It's the major global exporters, right? That is where price discovery is found on the major exports. And the United States is important because of two reasons: one, they're the residual supplier of grain. Why? Because the United States is the highest cost, has the highest land cost, and have the highest labor cost, and has the strongest currency. It's gonna be very difficult for the United States to be the lowest game in town unless it's like harvest in the United States and the rest of the world is tapped out. Then the United States will be the most, will be competitive. Otherwise, they're not. And that's just the way it is. Um, and that's fine. But, we, but you know, the, the world also prices that. Like they price it as what's available on the export market. And if we all sell out, what's left in the United States? And a combination of those two is how the market feels about supplies and if we have adequate supplies or not, or if we have to do price rationing between now and the next harvest. Um, and how everything pretty much boils down to that. What's interesting about the analysis that we've been doing over the past five, 10 or 15 years is the United States share has decreased, the rest of the world share has increased, then not just soybeans, but corn and wheat too. Um, and you know, so the major exporters play a bigger role. So we could be just as tight in ending stocks and days of supply now as we were 10 or 15 years ago during some of especially during the drought years of 2012 but it may not mean as much because there's a less emphasis or in less importance or weighting of us exports compared to global exporters so again something to keep in mind going forward and all these things matter when you know and i know i don't take the time to go through all these things and all these weights and all these considerations through every podcast and through every newsletter but it does matter and it does affect the way we basically see the markets and make recommendations. Um, so just something to keep in mind. Uh, I'm gonna go to the corn exports real quick. Where's our corn exports? All right. So back 10, you know, 10 years ago, the United States would be somewhere between 35 and 40% of you know corn exports. With Argentina, Brazil, and you know Ukraine, you know in the mix, uh, you know now, 2000, you know now United States is under 30 percent. Rest of the world's going to be above 60 percent. It's the same trend we're seeing in soybeans. I mean, Ukraine has come a long way. They're probably going to be a little bit lower, so it'll probably stem that that growth a little bit, you know, with the, with the Ukraine. But listen, Brazil has gone from exporting like. 30 to 35 million metric tons, now 50 or more. 
Argentina has gone from exporting, you know, high teens, little 20 million metric tons to the mid 30s. Well, the United States kind of, you know, it, we're not, we're only gaining, ex, the United States only gains export share when there are other issues around the world, namely Europe, Black Sea, or South America. Otherwise, if there's no issues, you know, the United States is, you know, exports aren't growing at all. And you're seeing that in the, in the global exporters. So, you know, how far into this. It's funny, sometimes when I'm talking about this stuff, I just get lost. I can see we're 20, I can go on all day and I know no one wants that. But, you know, the the thing is like, when we look at the pricing of the markets, oh, one last thing I wanna talk about. So you, now we need to tie this all together. So what is burdensome? What is adequate? What is tight and why? So for the corn market, that 10% line is where you start to see price rationing. You're in like the 10 to 15% stock to usage, which would be, I want to say like a month's supply, days of supply, up until like two months of supply, um, you know, will be in a normal trading range. You start getting over 15% stock to usage and over two months supply in the corn market, like we're going to the bottom. Like we're going, you know, back in the old days, like that $3 corn where everyone just got depressed, you know, or with soybeans where they make a run at eight bucks and, you know, you know, everyone wanted to give up on farming, you know, for the, the corporate clients, they would start buying years out. But I know on the farming side, it was the exact opposite, right? So, you know, and that's what that means. When you get over that 15% stock to usage and you got more than two months supply in corn and soybeans, uh, man, that's, that's a tough one. Yeah, that's a, that is tough on prices. Wheat's different. Wheat's a quarter. You got to have about a quarter's worth, at least two months. Probably you really want three months of supply on wheat. All right. Otherwise, you're going to get some pretty extreme price rationing. And I'm going to end it up here. Like, why? Why is it that the world wants three months supplies in the United States particularly? And they can live with a month or, you know, month or a little bit more of a month than corn and soybeans. And the reason being is for wheat, 85% of wheat, especially here in the United States, you know, 85% of wheat, um, that isn't exported out for domestic use is used for food. Um, some of it's, you know, low quality and you can't use it for human consumption. It goes to feed wheat. The majority of it goes for food. And the thing is with wheat and rice, it is the low cost, best value for calories in the world. And, you know, especially when it comes to developing nations um, or the poorer parts of society, like you need available and cheap wheat and rice and you can't eat the dirt. Um, it is, you know, it's, it, you know, it, it really is it, it extremely important. And, you know, that's why when you get to about three months supply, uh, the wheat market really starts to jump. Now the market knows that. And what's interesting about wheat is we produce wheat for export and consumption all over the world. Um, almost all the time. You know, we do spring wheat and winter wheat in the Northern hemisphere. We do spring wheat and winter wheat in the summer and the Southern hemisphere. I mean, I can point to places every quarter, you know, every three months, somewhere around the world, we're having a, a wheat harvest, right? And, uh, and it just goes to show you how important, you know, that is while, you know, on the opposite side, you know, soybeans, you gotta, you know, make, a, you know, five or, you know, 5 billion soybeans, you know, in North America, uh, and then six months later, turn around and do about six billion, you know, bushels in South America. And if you don't, you're up a creek. But you know, 
without a paddle in the global export market, but you eventually get through it. Not so with, you know, with wheat. You get some real problems, and that's why it's grown all over the world, and that's why it's grown so many places, spring and winter wheat, in all four corners of the world, which you will see for export. Here's the thing with corn and soybeans. Like, a lot of corn, you know, 30 to 40% of the corn in this country is used for ethanol. Like, it doesn't have to be. There is the RIN market, and you can cut back. You know, for same thing with soybeans, you know, biodiesel. Um, you know, you don't have to use all that oil for biodiesel. It could just all go to cooking and food and um, and processing. Uh, you know, it also, think about this, like when it comes to feed, I think, you know, for every pound uh, on the livestock, it takes about six pounds of feed to produce that. You don't have to feed as much. You can use, you can take away feed use and use it more for food. Um, so, you know, so the market's more comfortable with the stock usage of a month because it's not as critical to human survival, while wheat is a lot different. And that's why you can have a tighter corn and soybean market, uh, but not so in wheat. And those are kind of the, you know, the relationships we're going here. So I know we're a half hour in, but I really wanted to go over this. Um, I know sometimes I talk maybe a, too, a little too high um, of a level, and I need to kind of explain why we're seeing you know things the way they are you know, kind of help explain why, you know, I'd love to be bullish on some of these grain markets, but it's very difficult on, you know, on corn to be bullish on corn right now, especially when we start talking about new crop. Um, I'd like to be, but I can't. And then with, uh, you know, with soybeans, writing's kind of on the wall there too. See how things go in South America. We'll see what the United States acres are like. I mean, if U.S. acres are eight, you know, below 87 million. You know, all bets are off. But if it's like 88 or 89 million, you know, we're gonna could be at a carryout of over 400 million on soybeans, and you know, then all of a sudden, you know, that means we're at, you know, over 8% stock to usage. Days of supply is about 30, and instead of having like $15 soybeans, we really, you know, you know, 14 and $15 soybeans really should be at 12 and 13. Still high priced. Right, you know, we're still at a month's supply. I mean, to get soybeans down to ten bucks, you know, we would probably have to go over close to a five hundred million carryout, which that really can't happen most likely until the two thousand twenty-four twenty-five crop year. Um, and then wheat's going to be high-protein wheat, Kansas City, Minneapolis, likely as high for another year. the The production and export, you know, loss out of the Ukraine is real, and it might not mean 12, 13, and 14 dollar wheat, but it certainly can keep wheat in the seven, eight, nine dollar range. Six dollars for a soft red winter wheat, you know, maybe seven and eight for hard red wheat and spring wheat um, for another year as the world tries to figure out that logistical issue. So um, that's how we see how the markets. If you have any questions for me about what we're doing, um, on the hedge side and the trading side, let me know. Futures, options, OTC, uh, structured products. Happy to talk to anyone. You give me a call at the office or give me, a, if you're a client, you can shoot me a text. So I hope this was beneficial for everyone. I'm going to try to start focusing a little bit more on how we read the markets and why. I hope that's helpful for everybody. 
and thanks for listening and have a great week. All right, thanks very much. This material is conveyed as a solicitation for entering into a derivatives transaction. This material has been prepared by a Daniel's Trading Broker who provides research market commentary and trade recommendations as part of his or her solicitation for accounts and solicitation for trades. Daniel's Trading, its principals, brokers, and employees may trade in derivatives for their own accounts or for the accounts of others. Due to various factors, such as risk tolerance, margin requirements, trading objectives, short-term versus long-term strategies, technical versus fundamental market analysis, and other factors, such trading may result in the initiation or liquidation of positions that are different from or contrary to the opinions and recommendations contained therein. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. The risk of loss in trading futures contracts or commodity options can be substantial, and therefore, investors should understand the risks involved in taking leveraged positions and must assume responsibility for the risks associated with such investments and for their results. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources. You should read the risk disclosure accessed at www.danielstrading.com. Daniel's Trading is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, newsletter, or similar service. Daniel's Trading does not guarantee or verify any performance claims made by such systems or services.